3: Late today, Chris Watts
1: was officially charged with the murders of his wife and his two young girls. Remember
4: these words if it doesn't fit, you must acquit.
2: All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Case Watch Podcast. I hope everybody had a great Christmas. How was yours, Charity?
3: Mine was really nice. How was yours, Mark?
2: Not too bad, not too bad. I've worked all weekend, so I'm kind of waiting for next weekend for my weekend off. But you know, I get everything I wish for, which was nothing. That's all I ask for Good. every single year. So how about yourself?
3: Yeah, I mean, it was pretty low key, which was nice. Just kind of quiet, but nice.
2: I heard you are hanging out in the backwoods of New Hampshire with a fellow crime creep. Is this true or I not sure true? Am.
3: This is 100% true. I am way up in New Hampshire and I'm actually going to put some pictures on my social media because it is absolutely gorgeous up here.
2: I'm jealous. I'm stuck down here. It's pouring. It's nasty. It's gross. But I can tell you one of the things that will make me happy, Charity, is if you give me some Triple D.
3: Of course I do. Here's the first one. Ellen Needleman O'Neill, 64, crashed a 2012 Lexus sedan into a parked car at around 2.30 p.m. and police said that they could smell alcohol in the woman's breath, according to NBC Connecticut. Needleman O'Neill then failed a field sobriety and a later test showed that she had a blood alcohol level of 0. .23, nearly triple the legal limit. She was charged with DUI and possession of a controlled substance for a painkiller that was discovered inside her purse. Six hours after being released, Needleman O'Neill headed to a liquor store. Cops pulled her over and brought her to the station house where Her blood alcohol level at the time was 0.09, still over the legal limit.
2: That's crazy that it was that high that much later.
3: And oh my God, did you not learn your lesson, lady?
2: Oh, no. People like that never learn their lesson.
3: I'm not going to say that these things shock me because they don't at all.
2: Right. I (laughs) mean, I've come to not expect anything anymore.
3: No, I like kind of wait for it now.
2: I know, right? I look for triple Ds in my real life and just wait for the funny part.
3: Oh my God, me too. I keep waiting to to find more, just to be given to me without me searching for them. So here's another one: a man who was allegedly trying to steal gas from parked cars while smoking a cigarette set himself and several vehicles on fire. Police say the man is believed to have been attempting to siphon gas from a vehicle in a private car park in Millicent, southern Australia, when he lit a cigarette. Car park owner Angus McDonald told Channel 10 Eyewitness News, "We were just so lucky. He was trying to get gas out of the car by punching a hole in the tank. That's when the explosion happened." A 26-year-old man has been arrested and charged with arson and illegal interference with a motor
2: vehicle. Yeah, that definitely takes a special kind of person to not realize that gas is flammable. Come on, buddy. This is ridiculous.
3: I don't know about you, Mark, but I still see people smoking a cigarette when they're even pumping gas.
2: Well, there's an idiot born every day. That's for sure.
3: <laughs> True that. Here's another. Sheila Bailey Eubank, 48, from Texas, is accused of faking her own abduction because she wanted more attention and a day off from work. Eubank's arrest warrant states she was found bound by rope in the backseat of her car. She told police she had been kidnapped at knife point by an unidentified man and made to drive around San Antonio while he carried out drug deals. However, on further investigation, it turned out Eubank had actually been buying a lottery ticket from a gas station at the exact time she claims to have been kidnapped. CCTV footage showed her looking healthy on unhurried and pleasant as she withdrew cash from an ATM and then made her purchase. She now has been charged with aggravated perjury. Oh, and it's still not known whether she won the lottery.
2: (laughs) Right. I don't know if that would make it any better, but come on people. Oh my God. There's literally security cameras every single place you look now.
3: I mean, but why go to such extent is my question.
2: If these people put half as much effort into just going to work, they'd be way more successful in life. It's pathetic.
3: It is so pathetic. Mark, we're going to be talking about a woman named Nanny Doss. It's kind of a nickname, actually. And she is known as the Giggling Granny.
2: Oh, isn't everybody's Grammy a little giggly?
3: <laughs> um, I don't think so. Some of them, are, I think, are grouchy.
2: Yes, very true.
3: All right, so let's get into it. Doss was born in Blue Mountain, Alabama in 1905. Her given name was Nancy Hazel. Her nickname was Nanny. Her parents were Jim and Louisa Hazel and had five children together, four girls and one boy. This was a family of farmers, so naturally all the children would stay home to work on the farm. Doss's father was said to be very controlling and even nasty to his wife and children. She and her mother would even say they hated him. Doesn't sound like a good start, does it, Mark?
2: No, it absolutely does not.
3: There are rumors that Jim may not actually be Doss's birth father, as public records show she and her mother lived alone in 1905 at the time of her birth. So that's interesting, right?
2: Yeah, especially if she was raised to think it was.
3: Right. And that could also be a reason why her father treated her particularly nasty.
2: Uh, Yes, unfortunately.
3: Who knows? Because of being forced by her father to work on the farm instead of going to school on a regular basis, Doss was never a good student during the few times she could actually attend. She couldn't read very well and had almost no education. And I'm sure this was the same for her other siblings. These poor kids weren't allowed to be kids that play around and go to school and kind of sad.
2: Yeah, I remember being in school and having children that you knew their home life was not very well and they were working nonstop. It just never allows them to have the chance to be a child. So I do feel really bad for them.
3: At about age seven, the family was taking a train ride to visit other family members. During this ride, the train would stop quick and Doss would whack her head on the middle seat in front of her. For many years after this accident, she would have horrible migraines and even blackouts. She would also suffer from severe depression. Doss would blame all of this on her head trauma. Also, here we go again. We've said this before, that head drama can absolutely change who you are as a person. Doss's teenage years didn't seem to get any better. Her father would continue to be a controlling asswipe, especially with his daughters the girls were forbidden to wear any makeup or nice clothing and going to a dance which was very common at this time was absolutely out of the question it's rumored that the girls had been molested on occasion and this was supposedly the reason for their father's rules he just sounds like a major dick to me I agree. Doss would spend any little free time that she had flipping through romance magazines and she loved the Lonely Hearts column. These were personal ads for people looking for love. Doss would dream of falling in love and running away from her abusive father. At age 16 she was working at the Linden Thread Company. This is where she would meet Charlie Bragg. The two would only date for a few months then get married. It was 1921 at the time. Doss's father was happy to give her away. Sounds like he just was like, thank God someone take her. It's
2: like, Peace out.
3: Charlie had no siblings and his mother was unwed. For these reasons, his mother would live with the married couple. Oh, sweet. A nice little mother-in-law hanging out. The mother-in-law would require a lot of attention and Doss did not like this at all. She would later have this to say, I married as my father wished in 1921 to a boy I only knowed for about four to five months, who had no family, only a mother who was unwed and who had taken over my life completely when we were married. She never seen anything wrong with what he done, but she would take spells. She would not let my own mother stay the night. So between 1923 and 1927, the couple would have four daughters. That's a lot of kids in a short amount of time. I I guess there was something they liked about each other, right? The marriage was not a good one. It is known that they both cheated on each other. Hmm, I wonder if all four of those girls were actually Charlie's.
2: Makes you wonder.
3: unhappy, would start drinking and amp up her smoking until she had a full-on addiction to cigarettes. You know what I picture, Mark? I picture her having one of those deep, raspy smokers' voices as she got older, kind of like, did you ever see Monsters, Inc.? I did. The receptionist in Monsters, Inc., just sounding just like her. <laughs>
2: That's awesome.
3: (laughs) Early 1927, their two middle daughters died suddenly. Charlie was immediately suspicious, thinking his wife might have something to do with her death. For this reason, he would take their oldest daughter, Melvina, and flee. Although Florine, the couple's infant daughter, stayed with Doss. Having to support her daughter and herself, she would start working at a cotton mill. Interestingly, Doss's mother-in-law would also die around the same time. Hmm. Isn't that interesting?
2: Interesting.
3: Charlie would show back up in 1928 with Melvina and a new woman he was dating, and Doss would be reunited with her eldest daughter. She would take the two girls and go to live with her mother. This is the same year the couple would become legally divorced. Charlie has said many times that he took off with his daughter because he was afraid for their lives, but he brought her back and left Florine in the care of Doss. Doesn't make too much sense to me, but this dude dodged a bullet majorly as i read on you'll hear throughout the next year Doss would continue working and in her free time she would return to her passion for true romance reading her magazines and especially loved reading the lonely hearts column as she did when she was a sad young girl she even began to write to the men that would advertise there one of these men was Frank Harrelson. He was a 23-year-old from Jackson, Florida, working in a factory. They would begin corresponding back and forth, and Frank would even begin to send romantic poetry. In return, Doss would send sexy photos and naughty letters. She even baked him a cake and sent it to him. Ooh, this is very risque
2: from back now in Now you're talking. Day.
3: <laughs> the two pen pals would meet in person in 1929, quickly get married, and 24-year-old Doss and her two daughters would move to Jacksonville to live with Frank. Looks like she moved on pretty darn quick. Very quickly after moving in with Frank, it was a parent, he was an extreme alcoholic, one that would prove to be very abusive. Doss would discover that her new husband even had a criminal record for assault. The years would go by. In the 1940s, Melvina, Doss's oldest daughter, would get married and give birth to her first child, a boy named Robert. Two years later, Melvina and her husband would find themselves at the hospital ready to give birth to a daughter. She would call her mother to come to her aid in birthing her child. As any daughter would, they kind of, you want your mother to be there when going through something like that. The baby would finally arrive, but would not be, alive for long. Melvina claims she saw her lifeless baby in her mother's arms, noticing she was holding a hairpin. Within an hour, her beautiful, healthy baby girl was dead. It is said that Dos would use this hairpin to stab her grandchild in the brain, ending her innocent life. Gross. Wow. Absolutely gross. To Melvina's dismay, the doctors couldn't find a reason for the baby's death. Things would just progressively get worse about six months later. Melvina would bring her two-year-old toddler, Robert, to her mother's house for her to watch him. When the young mother would return to pick her child up, it would be discovered that he had died from asphyxiation, quote-unquote, accidentally. Why would you let your children—if you really think your mother killed your newborn, why? Why would you drop your other child off with her t- in her care? Agreed. Early on the same day, Doss and her husband, Frank, had an abusive, raging fight. I don't know. Maybe she took it out on this poor little boy. It was later discovered that Doss had taken a life insurance policy out on her grandson. After his death, she quickly collected $500. What a wench. That is disgusting. What's the easiest choice you can make?
0: Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket
4: Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on
3: Brunch for Mom,
4: all in the Kroger
3: app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. At the end of World War II, many people partied up for days, even drinking in the streets. Doss's husband, Frank, was one of these people. Already an alcoholic, this was a wonderful excuse for him to drink himself into a stupor. During the celebration, Frank thought it would be a good idea to rape his wife. This was the last straw. Doss would take this as an opportunity to get rid of Frank. She simply put rat poison in her husband's corn alcohol, ending not only their 16 years of marriage, but Frank's life. Whoa, he messed with the wrong bitch.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
3: Goss would take off before anyone found Frank and find herself in North Carolina. She was quickly back to her old pastime. Corresponding with many lonely men in the Lonely Hearts column, enter Arlie Lanning. That is like a really cute name. Sorry, just had to say that. It is. Arlie worked as a laborer at the time the two would meet and marry after only 2 days. Here we go again. Like she, this was lady just really 2
2: can't be days alone. is wow.
3: We can see where this is going. Doss would join her community while in North Carolina. She would even join the local Methodist church. What a good what a sweet gal. Just given back. Her neighbors and friends would show her kindness knowing of her husband's alcoholism and infidelities, mostly with prostitutes. They all saw her as a pillar in the community with a crappy husband. For this reason, not one person was suspicious when Arlie would die. Doss would tell everyone it was a normal morning. Her husband had just finished eating the breakfast she had prepared for him and suddenly he got dizzy and began violently vomiting and he died. Why would you tell people that you were the one who gave him his
2: last breakfast? Nobody even
3: questioned it. (laughs)
2: This lady's nuts.
3: Doss would become enraged when she found out that Arlie left the house to his sister. So of course, she would up and leave, but not before she torched the house, burning it to the ground. Where do you think she might have gone, Mark?
2: To be honest with you, Charity, I have no idea.
3: Well, of course, she would go to her mother-in-law's house. You know, the mother of the husband that she just killed and, you know, torched his house. While staying with her mother-in-law, the insurance check for the fire would arrive. This check was, of course, supposed to go to Arlie's sister, but it didn't. In an interesting turn of events, Doss's mother-in-law died suddenly in her sleep. This would allow her to forge and cash the check, taking all the money for herself. Hmm. Very Interesting.
2: Yeah, she's an interesting individual for sure.
3: I also don't understand why, like, maybe the sister would question. Like, that's weird. Those are two people in the same family very close together and both connected to the same woman. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Doss next went to stay with her sister Dovey in Alabama. Dovey had been bedridden for quite some time. Very soon after her sister's arrival, Dovey suddenly died. How is no one connecting any of this, even just within their own family? I just don't get it. Let's meet husband number four, shall we? We're now in the 1950s, still wanting to desperately find love. She would join the Diamond Circle Club. This club would cost $15 and set up correspondence between two people looking for love. Almost like an old-time dating site, I guess, is all I could kind of compare it to. Doss would meet a handsome, well-to-do, retired Kansas salesman named Richard Morton and marry him. Again, okay, that's awfully quick, but whatever. He was nothing like any of her other husbands. It was said that he treated her very well. After only being married for a few months, Doss was already getting bored of her stable life. She began to search for another man in the local newspaper personal ads. Around the same time, her mother would make it known that she was going to move to Alabama and live with her daughter and her son-in-law. This was not art of Doss's plan. So she made a new plan. Only a few days after her mother arrived, she would experience severe stomach pains and die. Now back on track with her original plan, she had only one obstacle in her way, Richard. To take care of him, she simply laced his coffee with her favorite brand of rat poison in and poof, He was gone.
2: What a crazy, crazy girl this is.
3: She's more than crazy. She's psychotic, I think.
2: I find it, as you say, rather interesting that she has her own favorite brand of rat poison. I can't get over that. And I love the (laughs) fact that she peruses the personal ads because, come on, everybody here who's listening at one point, if you're over 35, I guarantee you've at least checked out the misconnection sections that used to be on (laughs) Craigslist. And don't tell me you have it because everybody I know has. Everyone's always like, I wish it was me. Come on on now.
3: (laughs) That's awesome. Doss would meet her final husband. This would be husband number five in 1953. From Tulsa, Oklahoma, Samuel Doss was said to be a conservative, God-loving man that didn't like to waste money. He was disgusted by Doss's love for romance novels. She would leave him and move to Alabama because she felt as though he was stifling her and being too stingy with money. Sam, the poor man, this is the worst thing he ever decided to do, would beg for his wife to return home, promising her he would change and loosen his hold on money. To prove this, he took out not one, but two life insurance policies on himself, with his wife, of course, being the beneficiary. I can guess whose idea this was. Doss would come home and shortly after her return, she would make her homemade prune cake. Sam would find himself terribly ill after eating a piece of this cake, even having to be hospitalized. After being in the hospital for about two weeks, Sam would come home to his dutiful wife. Doss would make her husband a delicious meal laced with arsenic and put it in his coffee. It would only take a few hours before Sam would die. A doctor at the hospital Sam had stayed at thought his death scene you know, a little suspicious. So he ordered an autopsy to be done. Guess what they found during the autopsy, Mark?
2: Uh, I'm going to say rat poison.
3: They would, of course, discover the arsenic that killed him. It was said his body had enough arsenic to kill a horse. Why the overkill? (laughs) That's my
2: question. I don't know. Good question. Oh my God.
3: At this time, Oklahoma authorities would arrest Doss. Finally... After all those people, finally. During her interrogation, Doss was busy reading the magazine, Romantic Heats, and it spelled H-E-A-T-T-S. The police had to take the magazine away from her to gain her attention. Even then, Doss would flirt with the officers and even giggle during her <laughs> confessions.
2: Oh, I love her. There's
3: pitches too. Pitches of her like smiling, giggling. She's always smiling. It's bizarre. The media would love her as she was always willing to give an interview while giggling and smiling, as I just said, hence the nickname, the Giggling Nanny. She would say her motives had always been love and romance. When she was in jail waiting for her trial to begin, the eight bodies of her victims were exhumed.
2: Oh, boy.
3: Yep. Arsenic was found in the bodies of her other three husbands and her mother. The others were found to have been smothered to death. Gross these are her family members. Before the trial would begin, Doss would have a psychological evaluation and was declared sane. She would only be charged with Samuel Doss's death and sentenced to life imprisonment on May 17th, 1955. And the only reason, Mark, that she didn't receive the death penalty was because of her gender. I guess at the time, if you were female, that was too rough of a sentence. I don't know. She was also charged with murder in North Carolina, Kansas, and Alabama. She was never tried for any of these murders. Again, maybe because she got life without the possibility of parole. In 1965, the 10th anniversary of her being in jail, Doss would die of leukemia on June 2nd. Oh, too bad. I Yeah, too bad. I just, and again, the reason I think they probably didn't try her for those other murders was because she was already in jail and she was never getting out. But as we've said before, you know, the family members of those people, that's no justice for them at all.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be happy with that. I get it that it'd be a waste, but I would want at least to have my loved one's name attached to a guilty verdict.
3: And you know what? I actually look at the death penalty a little differently now than I did. It's almost sometimes, as we've said in past episodes, worse to have to rot in jail. It's almost the easy way out to go to death in some cases.
2: I agree with that because I used to look at it as like, yeah, you're going to die, but I want you to sit in jail and rot and think about it for the rest of your life. Knowing your freedom is gone, knowing that you have no liberty, tough cookies. I can't swear on this, remember? Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. we're trying not to. But yes. no, I, I agree, I agree. Here are all of the victims' names and locations and cause of death. 1927, August 30th, Alabama. Zelmar Braggs, age four, her daughter, food poisoning. September 25th, Gertrude Braggs, age five, food poisoning as well. Those were the two middle daughters that died and her, the husband suspected her right away. 1945, Melvina's unnamed baby stabbed in the head with a hairpin.
2: Oh, my God.
3: July 7th, Robert Lee Haynes, age 2. Her grandson, asphyxiated. Ugh. September 16th, Jacksonville, Alabama. Frank Harrelson, age 39, second husband. And, of course, she used the rat poisoning. 1950, June 30th, Gadsden, Alabama. Dovey Weaver, age 42, her very own sister. September 7th, Lexington, North Carolina. Sarah Lanning, age 85, her mother-in-law, and she was poisoned. 1952, February 16th, Lexington, North Carolina. Arlie Lanning, 52. He was the third husband and died of being poisoned, of course. 1953, January 3rd, Lexington, North Carolina. Louisa Hazel, 74, her very own mother, whom she poisoned. May 19th, Emporia, Kansas. Richard Morton, husband number four, and he was again poisoned. 1954, October 12th, San Springs, Oklahoma, Samuel Doss, 58, the fifth husband, and he was poisoned with arsenic, as we know, and was the husband that they did the autopsy on that allowed everyone to finally catch her in her actions. Unbelievable.
2: I agree. I can't even believe it took that long and nobody suspected anything. Come on. Husbands, multiple children, other family members, and you can't get this straight.
3: That and the fact that that very first husband suspected her of it. Like, I'm sure he told people, like, I'm sure he told the new woman he was seeing, like, oh, that my ex-wife is psycho. I think she killed our middle two children. I don't understand. I just don't get it. I'm shocked by these every time.
2: Yeah. There's no place on this earth for people like her. That's for sure. Nope. All right, guys, thanks for sticking through another episode. It's a short one. This is our last episode of the year. Thank you so much for sticking around with us. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media, Facebook and Instagram, Case Watch Podcast, Twitter, Case Watch Pod. You can find me on Instagram at B, charities, Charity underscore Case Watch. Text and voicemail line 603-212-4600 and info at CaseWatchPodcast.com. Hey, Mark. Yes.
3: Can I step in for a second?
2: Absolutely. Go um,
3: ahead. I don't want to be a jerk, but... I'm kind of beating you on Instagram still.
2: Yeah, you are. You're kicking my butt. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks, guys. You're killing me on this. That's for sure. I don't mind, though. Charity puts a lot more content on her Instagram than I do. Although I did put a pretty sweet picture from my airplane looking down over Toronto the other day. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's at NotMarkB on Instagram. With all that being said, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye, guys. See ya.